That's right, Bear Down Bears fans, it's time for another edition of the Chicago Bears podcast, Bears Banter, powered by Windy City Gridiron and SB Nation, Bill Zimmerman with you. And that's right, listen to those tunes, Bear Down Bears fans, because the Bears are 2-0. It may not have been pretty, but 2-0 is what you need here at this point. I, I said it on Twitter and I'll stress it. Beat the teams in front of you. The Chicago Bears cannot control their schedule. They cannot control their strength of schedule. They cannot control when they're playing better teams or worse teams. So when you're playing teams that you can be an opportunist at and get those victories, like the Detroit Lions and the New York Giants, you got to pick up those wins. That's exactly what the Chicago Bears did. We're going to have a guest today, John Moon Mullen, longtime Bears writer. I'm sure most of you know him. Uh, Does a little work still with NBC Chicago semi-retired, but uh, been around a long time. So we're going to have him on. We're going to talk a little Gail Sayers with him. Obviously, really sad, sad to to hear the news about Gail Sayers earlier this week. But um, we're going to have him on to talk about Gail Sayers. And we'll also talk a little Chicago Bears with him and get his thoughts on the 2020 team as well. So before I get into the game, let's just take a minute on Gail Sayers because... You know, I, I got to know Gail just a, a really little bit through my, my SiriusXM job. Uh, Gail was always gracious whenever you needed to talk to him about anything. In fact, probably 10 years ago or so, we had um, a, a March Madness uh, celebrity tournament. And I, I gave Gail Sayers a call and, and asked if he wanted to fill out a bracket. And, uh, and he did. And he almost won. I believe he finished second. No surprise. He picked Kansas to win it all. Kansas had a very good year. And Gail got himself almost a, you know, not, not that there was anything in it other than bragging rights, but he almost got himself a victory there. I know. I think he finished second or third. But uh, always gracious, always kind, uh, was just really a, a great, great person to be around. And I'm glad I got an opportunity a couple of times uh, to, to do just that. But um, look, dementia is a just a horrible disease. Alzheimer's, dementia, dementia, any, anything that affects the brain like that is just, just so sad. I've, I've had uh, personal experience with that myself, uh, with my family, and it's, it's an awful, awful disease to go through. And, and, you know, obviously I don't know where, where Gail was. And, and I know he did have a little appearance last year at, at the 100, but it was just, you know, that when, when you're struggling as much as I'm sure he was, there is an element of, of relief where, where you know that the, the person is at peace because that's, that's not something you, you wish on anybody and certainly not someone as classy and gracious as Gail. So, you know, I did not see Gail play live, but I am a, I don't want to call myself an NFL historian, but I do love the history of the league and love to read up about it, watch old highlights, whatever it might be. And to me, and I'm going to ask Moon this, to me, Gail is one of the few athletes who translates to the modern game. Like, you know, a lot of offensive linemen don't translate. Defensive linemen don't translate. You know, I always say, like, Brian Erlacher is not one of the greatest linebackers of all time. He's a Hall of Famer. He's great. But you don't put him in that top three, top five NFL all-time category. He's not at that level. He's an all-time great. But he's not, not in that special, extra special category. 
But if you put Brian Urlacher in 1957 and just dropped him into the league, he'd be the greatest player of all time. No one could block him. He'd be the same size as offensive linemen. He'd be as fast as running backs and wide receivers. He'd put Lawrence Taylor Tecmo Bowl to shame. He'd be unstoppable. So, you know, this sport, it's really hard to translate, you know, quarterbacks, you know, what, what they accomplished in the 50s and 60s, if you put their stats up against below average NFL quarterbacks, they would they would look you know about the same from current below average NFL quarterbacks to Hall of Famers from the 50s and 60s. The game has evolved that much. Baseball translates a lot better over decades and over eras. Football not so much. But to me, Gale Sears, much like Jim Brown, is one of these guys that if you just took Gale Sears and dropped him in 2020, he you know prime Gale Sears, he would dominate a game. He was just that type of an athlete, that type of a player, and the fact that he only had just a few years before uh you know injuries betrayed him is just is just too bad because i i often wonder like where would gail sears have, have reached i mean to me there's peyton there's jim brown and there's barry sanders i know emmett smith is an all-time you know leading rusher but he's not in that category to me those those are the three backs that i look at as better than any other running backs that have ever stepped on the field on an nfl field and i wonder if gail sears had more time in the league to really show what he could do and grow, I really wonder if Gale Sears would be in that same breath. So it's a, he's an all-time great bear. I do think he's overlooked in the history of the game because of his short career and because of the fact that he never really were on, well, he was on any dominant teams. He was just after the 63 championship team and he was part of a Bears team that was going downhill. And those late 60s and early 70s Bears teams just weren't, you know, for the most part, weren't very, very high quality teams. They had a one win team in, in, in that era. So, you know, he's overlooked a little bit, but his greatness does live on and, and he'll be missed. And I'm sure the Bears will be, uh, you know, honoring him as much as they can now throughout the rest of the season. Um, so uh, that's just a few thoughts on Gale Sears. But let's let's move over here to the 2-0 2020 Chicago Bears. And look, this team is 2-0. And for sure, that's, that's the first thing you say about this team is they're 2-0, they're undefeated. But second through nine uh, on the list of things you would say about this team, there's still a lot of negatives on this team. And let's start on the offensive side of the ball. Because what we're seeing here is a crazy amount of inconsistencies. And I think these inconsistencies are largely due to the quarterback play. You, you look at this team, and, and I've said this to, to multiple people, three good quarters, five bad quarters. Luckily, that those quarters have been, to be fair, much better than good. They've been great on both sides of the ball. And what has that done? And if you lump those three quarters together, I mentioned this on Twitter, fourth quarter, week one, first half, week two, the Bears were on a 38 to nothing run in those three quarters. When you're that dominant in three quarters, you can get away with being not so good on the other five quarters. And that's exactly what they've done. The quarterback play is not consistent. And look, Mitch Trubisky, I, I don't even know what to say about him. I don't want to sit here and just shred the quarterback week after week. And look, PFF, for the first time in a while, thought Mitch Trubisky played well. First time, you know, highest grade, if, if you're a PFF grade guy, in a year and a half. I don't put a ton of stock in those grades, but, you know, there, there is some level of a, of a measuring tool there. You know, when you, you look at Trubisky on some of these things he's doing, I'm not going to crush him for the interceptions. They weren't phenomenal throws. 
But were they were they fair to be interceptions? No. So you look at that and go, all right, well, those shouldn't be interceptions, but let's be fair. Let's look at how inaccurate he was in week one where he threw no interceptions. And there were interceptable balls out there. So for me, a lot of this times, this stuff evens out. I think for the most part, the team has been catching the football. You want to talk about Anthony Miller's poor performance and how he had a couple drops? That's, that's fine. But like I said... The offensive line has been good, pass protection and run blocking. I've said that. I've stressed that. The running game is good overall. We've got a nice surgence from from Darnell Mooney. That's been great to see. Allen Robinson, not great in week two, especially for his standards, but week one he, he was there. He, they've got he's got Allen Robinson at his at his disposal. So when when you look at Mitch Trubisky. You can't sit there and push blame on any of his shortcomings right now on the rest of the team. And that's what a lot of people did. And that's where these arguments spurred from all during last year is people wanted to blame the offensive line. People wanted to blame Matt Nagy. Other people wanted to blame Mitch Trubisky. And it became just this pecking at each other on Bears, Twitter, social media, you know, sports radio, all this stuff, just pecking at each other because no one could agree as to what the problems were on the offense. But this year, I think Nagy's play calling has been a lot better. I think Nagy has moved his offense into something that I honestly don't like to see. I'm glad to see it because it's working. But we've moved this team into an under center play action. I'm going to say almost a John Fox style offense here. And look. When Mitch Trubisky was a rookie and John Fox was having him hand off 35 times a game, Bears fans were upset. Oh, you got to let the kid rip it. Just let, let him show what he can do. Stop being so conservative. And then when Matt Nagy built up to trying to just let him rip it, read it, read a defense and go, fans said, oh, that's not fair. You got to roll him out. You got to use play action. You got to do all this stuff. The stuff that Ron Fox was doing, now again, more limited because there were games where Mitch Trubisky threw the ball a dozen times, but more limited because he was a rookie and he was still had so much growth he needed to do. But we, we've reverted back to an offense that fans were complaining about four years ago. So I'm glad it's working better here. But again, this isn't the offense that I feel Matt Nagy wants to see. I think this is an offense that honestly Chicago Bears fans don't want to see. They just want to see an offense that's more functional. And that's what this offense is. But at the same time, you've got the play action going now for Trubisky. He's got a running game. He's got an offensive line, both pass blocking and run blocking. You cannot, cannot sit here and go, well, Anthony Miller had a drop. Oh, well, Allen Robinson had a drop. Oh, well, Allen Robinson should have prevented that interception. Because... It's not their fault. No one is going to be perfect at their job. And I think a lot of times people sit there and go, everyone else should be perfect at their job so Mitch can perform at at a certain level. And I don't think that's fair to the rest of the offense. So yes, Anthony Miller is going to have a drop like that because Anthony Miller is an inconsistent player. But Anthony Miller is also going to make dynamic plays like he did in week one. So you're going to have to live with that and accept that. And he's going to make dynamic plays and amazing catches that make Trubisky look good. And he's also going to make poor plays and drop a ball here or there that may not make Trubisky look as good. So you're just going to have to deal with these things throughout the season. But I think at this point where this offense is, and I'm not saying they're putting up 30 points a game and this is great, but what the offense is doing, any shortcomings in this offense now are on the quarterback. So if you're complaining about only putting up 17 points, 
or, or you know, only not score, scoring six points until the fourth quarter in week one. I think a lot of that's going on the quarterback. And if you want to fight me, you want to argue with me, drop it in the Windy City Gridiron comments. Hit me up at Twitter at ZimmermanSXM. Always open to talk about it. But this offense, to me right now, isn't where it needs to be. And I think it's on the quarterback play. Because, like I said, three great three great quarters, five lousy quarters. And again, that's the consistency under center. I'm just not seeing it. Like even for example, there was a, a sack. Brian Baldinger on his one of his breakdowns mentioned the sack. And could you put the blame on the offensive line? Sure, you can put the blame on the offensive line. Mitch did not have enough time and he has been getting enough time. He's been getting some time where he's had great time to scan the whole field, but he didn't have enough time there. But as Baldy highlighted it, Tariq Cohen was off on the sideline and an easy check down waving his hands. No one was at 20 yards of Tariq Cohen. By the time he made the catch, he was going to have about one defender. If that defender got him out of bounds, he was going to gain seven or eight yards. And if he made that defender miss, he could have 15, 20, 30 yards. And that's the kind of stuff that we're still not seeing from Trubisky. Is he making the right decision in this offense? And a lot of times he isn't. He's He's been better. He's been surprisingly better for me because, as you know, I had very low expectations on him. So there wasn't, the bar wasn't that high for him to beat, but he has beaten it. And for that, I'll give him credit. Uh, on the defensive side of the ball, I thought the performance was better in week two than it was in week one. But overall, I'm still not excited about this defense like I was two years ago. I, I just wish we could get that swagger back. And I don't know what is missing. You know, I don't know if it's Chuck Pagano versus Vic Fangio. I don't know if it's a, a concern that the offense, you know, isn't going to, if the defense takes a risk and gives up a big play, that the offense doesn't have the firepower to keep them in the game. I don't know what is missing with this defense, but it's just they're not dynamic. They're very good. And I don't want to trash a very good defense. That is, is one of the key reasons. You only give up 13 points in week two. They're one of the key reasons that this team is 2-0 and right now. I understand the teams haven't been great, but I'm just not seeing any excitement on this defense. And I know Eddie Jackson almost had the pick six. I know Bears fans were upset with that call. To me, he got there early, especially when you slow it down. I saw some people discussing how the, he had the right for the path. You don't get to knock the player out of the way early. You know, yes, the defense has the right for the football, as does the offensive player when it's up in the air like that. But think about it like the NBA. If the offensive player has position, the defensive player doesn't get to knock him out of the way. If the defensive player has position, the offensive player doesn't get to knock him out of the way. If, if it's a 50-50 ball, yes, they both have rights to it. But that wasn't a 50-50 ball. Giant player had positioning. And and Eddie definitely bumped him. That's that's my opinion. You wanna you wanna you wanna knock me for it? That's fine. But that's the way I saw that that defensive play. You know, bottom line, the pass rush was better, and the Bears are getting, according to some of the, the advanced analytics, the Bears are getting pressure at a higher rate than most teams, and they're not having to blitz much to do it. But to, it's just not resulting in what the Bears need. The Bears need forced fumbles. The Bears need interceptions. The Bears need nine-yard sacks and, and, and forcing teams to punt deep from their own, you know, from their own territory and give the Bears offense a short field. We're just not getting the elite dynamic plays, and I don't know why that's missing from this team, but it is. It was missing last year, and it's missing right now this year. I'm hoping 
that this team can still snap, this defensive unit can still snap into a uh, more impressive 2018 version than 2019 version, but we haven't seen it yet. So that's, uh, that's something to keep an eye on. This Atlanta Falcons team, look, this game is very winnable. If the Falcons injury report continues to look like it does, the Bears have no excuses this week. They need to win this game. So... To me, this is a situation where the Bears need to be 3-0 after this weekend. There are tough games coming up on this schedule, especially in the middle of the season. The Bears need to pad their record now. They need to get out to a 3-0, 4-1 kind of a start because when you start seeing those bigger opponents in the middle of the season, if the Bears let a couple early games slip away and they're sitting there at 3-3 three three through six games, they're going to start getting into the gauntlet and they're going to have some problems. So this is another winnable game for them. So a key game... They got to buckle down, focus, and move to 3-0. But uh, enough of my babbling here. Let's take a break. And on the other side, we're going to talk to John Moon Mullen. This is Bears Banter. Bill Zimmerman. We'll be right back. All right. Welcome back into the podcast. And as promised, here he is, John Moon Mullen. Uh, he's been covering the Bears a very long time. You can still catch him on NBC as he's slowly easing his way into retirement. But he's good enough to join us here and, and talk a little bit about Gale Sears and, and a little bit about the Bears. We'll get to that uh, towards the end. But John, Bill Zimmerman here. How are you? Oh, good, though. Uh, as much as we can be in COVID times, but uh, doing well, thanks. Well, well, thanks so much for coming on, and, and I wish we were just having you on under just kind of straight, better circumstances, but but um, Gail Sears passing away here earlier in the week, and I just I just wanted to get your initial reaction when you, when you heard the news, because for me, as someone who's had personal experiences with dementia in the in in my family and having to deal with such the, an awful disease like that and i know gail i've been suffering with it it, it, it was it was a little bit of, of kind of mixed emotions of, of, of losing someone but knowing knowing how difficult this has been for him yeah and i think you know one reaction is and i also had it in my family with with my dad and it's you feel like they're he's in a better place um you know, the, the journey is over, and so is hopefully the suffering. Uh, obviously, the people behind are still faced with it, but uh, there's a relief in some ways, as, as you probably know, too. Yeah, a- absolutely. And, um, you know, I, I want to kind of get you, your opinion on, on Gail the person and Gail the player. And, and I want to kind of start with Gail the person, because I think... You know, you know, playing in the in the late '60s like he did, you know, that that's that's pretty distant for a lot of Bears fans. Bears fans, you know, at basically the age 50 and under, really, really won't have a, a memory of him. And unlike the '85 Bears, who have been very omnipresent, whether that be with media, advertisements, whatever it is, Gale never really was like that. Especially the last 20, 30 years, he wasn't really active and and doing a lot. So you know, he'd, he'd make appearances here or there, but we just we didn't see him a lot. So I don't think a lot of Bears fans really got to know who Gail Sears was. What what kind of light can you shed on, on Gail Sears, the person? Yeah, that's really a, a good uh, assessment or kind of a, uh, a reflection on the kind of person he was. He was not a, a look at me guy. Um, he was more, I was like to, to describe him as the, the Barry Sanders type. You, you, you score a touchdown with, with some sort of run or reception or return that just as people are shaking their heads, he just put the ball to the, the, the official and, and and kind of saying, "I'll be back again." Let's not make that was just how 
how he was. To me, Gail was a gentleman and a gentle man. And, you know, having talked with him at different times, even as a business writer doing a piece on, on his uh, computer consulting business, um, seeing him outside of just the, the highlight films. And um, he, he was obviously came into the league in 65, which I will never forgive him for, because that's the year I went away to college. And all of a sudden I'm <laughs> in Ohio and he's down, he's scoring 22 touchdowns as a rookie and I gotta hear about it from my parents. So, uh, it, it just a, a, there was a kindness to Gail. I, I, it was funny, I almost look at him, or, or sort of seeing him in my mind's eye, you know, I had when I call and you've seen athletes like this, they kind of predator eyes. He is not the best, not the face I want to see if I'm one on one in the open field against him. And yet he was anything but. He was very helpful to you know to young people. He always had time for fans, uh, especially young men, young young black men, but not restricted to that. Um, that's kind of what you remember. You kind of remember people sometimes, not as a continuous wheel, but more like snapshots. And I can see him kind of looking, um, just waiting for, you know, people were always fawning and in awe of him, but you know, he just wasn't in awe of himself. He was not that kind of guy. And he was willing, he made time for people. He's somebody who, you know, we, we know many athletes like this, especially in the NFL. Um, who went back to school, not only finished his degree, but got a graduate degree and went on to uh, um, to a successful business career as well as uh, an AD at uh, Southern Illinois. And just many facets to him away from the, the, the football field that I think it was hard to know because he just wasn't that out front guy. You know, if he'd been, can you imagine what he would have been on the 85 Bears? <laughs> it would have been, oh my God, what is this guy? So yeah, just a lot of uh, very kind memories and just seeing him in, in, in the later year, obviously last year in the uh, the Bear Hundredth, some the Hundredth uh, celebration, and yeah, it was it was unfortunate to see, and, and time does take its toll. Yeah, it, it it really does. But you you really painted a, a really good picture as as to who Gail Sayers the person was, and and seeing and reading some of the the quotes from from some of you know his his former teammates and play, people that played against him you know it was that that personality really was just you know it, it was it was infectious it was, it was appreciated by by anyone in the locker room with him it seemed and even even his opponents just just his his demeanor his way about about him just seemed to kind of rub off on on anyone he played with or against in the NFL yeah it really did and and like I said just the way he comported himself and I got here's another another snapshot I recall late in that year, may have been around Thanksgiving. Uh, one of the TV stations did a, a, a wonderful documentary on this new kid, and they called it a Gail from Kansas. And, you know, play on words, obviously, but but it was Gail. And I remember his narration, and this was maybe an indicator of, <laughs> of his personality. You know, he, he, these highlights are just your, can we run that one back? I kind of, did that really happen? And, and he would be, Kind of narrating it very self-deprecating, not deprecating, but not full of himself. And he's, you know, you know George Shields made a nice block. It picked up, and so all I did was just run to the end zone. And then there'd be another highlight, and oh, that's a wonderful. She noticed what happened. That's a good block, and then I just ran to the end zone. And, it, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, this football thing isn't so hard. <laughs> he wasn't. 
he just died just ran to the end zone. And it was almost like that's how he looked at himself. <laughs> not not uh, overly, like, I mean, he knew he was blessed with the talent that, uh, that few have ever had. Um, and I do think probably the greatest single runner I have ever seen, and that would include ahead of O.J. Simpson, ahead of Walter, ahead of, you know, I think Jim Brown to me is still the greatest single football player I have ever seen. Um, but Gail, with the football in his hands, was the greatest runner I have ever seen. And uh, you know, just, again, I'm remembering snapshots of this run and that run. You know, the, the San Francisco, the six touchdown game, was just one of many, uh, not six touchdown games, but those highlights were uh, the kind of thing you saw so often from him. And well, you, you and and let's you, you were talking about kind of Gale the player, so so let's get into that because I think for for a lot of people, you know, my age or younger, and I'm in my early forties, you know, the, the you know you you ha- you only see Gale on on highlight reels, and, and and no one really saw him in person, you know. So that when you talk about pure runner, you know, for for people a little younger, you know, Barry Sanders is really really the only one that can come to mind like that. Is that is that the type of you know is is that where you would put him? Is is he as good as Barry in terms of just being a pure runner? Is he better than Barry and, and, and all the, you know, the, the elusiveness? Is, is that is that where he is? Yeah, that's exactly where I put him. They, 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 Gail's taller and Barry was a shorter, you know, different kind, a little bit different physical build, but still with those, those kind of moves that you can't believe he did that without blowing out an ACL. Um, yeah, Johnny Morris once said it too. He was a teammate, obviously, back then. Gail made cuts in midair. <laughs> How'd she do that? <clears throat> and um, I think it was one of the Vikings tackers once said, you know, Sanders could be coming at you full speed, cut on a dime, and give you change. You know, there was just hearing those kinds of things from players who don't impress easily, and they've seen them all, uh, gave me an idea that of the awe that, with which he was regarded. And yeah, I do think Sanders. Um, who's still one of the only two people I have ever put down my pen in the in the press box and just politely uh, clapped. <laughs> I just said, I, I, I'm watching something here. Was it? But that was the way Gail was. You felt like you didn't want to go away. Uh, and somebody's like Devin Hester, even if you think about it. You know, it's, it's you know, fourth and seven, and the Bears are going to, or excuse me, this, the, uh, the Packers or whoever's going to punt. That's the time to run out and grab another beer in the kitchen and get a sandwich. You didn't do that with Gail. <laughs> you stayed and made sure that he didn't do something historic every time he touched the ball, kind of the way Devin Astor was, too. That's 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 a great way to put it. Um, you know, I think a lot of NFL historians, you know, we, we love to rank people and we love to rank positions in, in all sports. But in 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 particular in, in running backs, I think for, for the most part you hear three names at the top of the list. And I know Emmett Smith's the all-time leading rusher, but for the most part it's Jim Brown, Walter Payton, and Barry Sanders. And it, you know, I think a lot of historians will still put Gale in the top ten. But if it, if it wasn't for the injuries, would you put Gale? Do you think he would be right there in the breath with those three guys in terms of full careers? Well, absolutely. I mean, you have to realize, and, and it's 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 one of those jolting statistics that he only played sixty two games. We're talking about one of, and not all those healthy. You know, that was some of those were even after the. Uh, the catastrophic knee injury uh, that he came back and still gave a thousand yards. So, it, yeah, it's, it's not that he wasn't great anyway, but yeah, I, I think we'd be talking about a whole different cat uh, in terms of the, the perceptions of 
how great he was. And again, those debates are always interesting because they transcend eras, and sometimes it's hard to, you know, the game has changed. But to me, Gale Sayers transcended it. Um, and there was a time the Bears were even going to there was talk about, oh, let's make him a wide receiver, you know, so he, so he doesn't have to get hit as many times or get him out in space. And the decision was, no, he kind of creates his own space. Uh, and that, to me, is what Barry Sanders certainly was, was that kind of guy. Uh, again, different kind of runner from Jim Brown, way different than, than Walter. Um, and, and, and Emmett was a very efficient runner, again, a different type of runner. The only one that ever comes close to me is Barry, and just because he had that just jaw-dropping ability to do things that uh, you just couldn't imagine. Or couldn't. How did he see that? How did he know that guy was coming up behind him and make that kind of cut? Um, there was an innate sense or whatever you want to call it that he had that all the great ones have, but I don't think too many of them ever had it to the degree that, uh, that Gale did. That's 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 a that's really interesting. Um, but a couple more about Gale Sears before we get to the the current Bears team. You know, you you said he he was a transcendent player, and I think you know when we try and compare eras, things like baseball, the the sport compares really well. Football, it really doesn't hold up with how much the games evolved. And and I've said it a bunch of times. You know, uh, Hall of Famer. Their statistics in, in 1958, they're one of the worst quarterbacks in the league, you know, if those same statistics are, are in 2020. So we, we've seen we've seen the game evolve like this and we've seen players get bigger and faster and, and, and all that. Gail Sears, to me, is, is like kind of in that Jim Brown category where I feel if you just pick prime Gail Sears out of 19, you know, 66 or whatever and dropped him down to 2020, that his game would still translate and he would still be able to dominate. Absolutely, and then I had a good fortune you know, some years back with uh, you know, the late and thoroughly enjoyable Doug Buffon, um, and I was doing a book on, uh, uh, on, on Bears Tales and then some incidents, and I, I talked to Doug, I think we were doing a radio show together at one point, uh, and Doug was the unique guy who had played with Gale at the beginning of his career, with of Doug's career, been in the year after Gale, and Walter Payton's Walter first year. So I said, you know, compare and contrast. Or, you know, they weren't the same type of you know, body type or running type per se. And Dougie had kind of a perspective. He said, you know, if it was one one season, I'd probably I'd take Walter. I mean, Walter was a more a little more complete, different type of player, you know, more of a blocker, um, different type. But if it was one play and I needed whatever, it'd be Gale. And coming from a guy who saw them so up close, saw them every day in practice, um, that was pretty strong stuff. But the other thing that just, you mentioned, Bill, that Doug said, I did another piece with NBC and also joined me with the Bears on the different eras. Could yesterday's players have played in today's game? And everybody, all their bigger, stronger, faster, all that sort of thing. Doug said, well, no, Moon, you got it backwards. Could, could these guys have played in our area? And he said, no. <laughs> First of all, they would, they would have been whining to the officials because of some of the head slaps and the uh, you know forearms, and the clothes lines, and all that kind of stuff. They're all out. Well, they, these <laughs> these guys, so they would know how to deal with that. Plus, and I'll even go one step further. There was more of an emphasis on the technique, if you will, or not scheme exactly, but we've seen more reliance on athleticism. In the, in the modern game, raw speed, the fixation with the forty, and all that kind of stuff. Players wondering Richard Dent could have played 
in any era, uh, and Gail Sayers could have played in any era. Um, in fact, he might have even, I won't say had been better, but I would argue that tackling back then was better. Um, of course, not to make people tackle Gail that well, but um, yeah, to me, there's, there's no no question. It's almost like I'm chuckling about it. You have to wonder, could Gail have played in today's game? Are you kidding me? <laughs> I just wonder if some of these guys, these, you know, Street pass rushers. How would Khalil Mack have done it in the open field against to try to stop him? Yeah, you, you, just, you think about yeah modern offenses and, and spreading players out and creating space like that. And imagine what Gale would do instead of eighteen inches oh, with the, with three feet. <laughs> he did it himself. He didn't need steam. He did it himself. Yeah, absolutely. Well, b- before we move off of off of talking about Gale and reflecting on Gale, I think I'd be remiss if I, I didn't bring up Brian Piccolo. And, and obviously, all Bears fans know about Brian's song and what a great and emotional movie that is. And really trying to capture the relationship that Gale Sears had with with Brian Piccolo. So what, what can you, what can you add to that? What can you say about the, the relationship that really, you know, for Bears fans, obviously that didn't really experience it, didn't know much about that from, from so long ago, but you know, it lives on through that movie. You know, what, what can you add to, to what Bears fans may already know from, from Brian's song? Yeah. You, you kind of think, you know, well, I saw, I, I saw, uh, somebody would say, well, yeah, I saw, um, Brian's song. So I, I know Gail Sears. No, 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 no. Um, you look at the speech he gave, uh, the, the award he was was receiving, but he said, I have accept this award for Brian Piccolo. I love, I love Brian Piccolo. And he said, oh, that's Hollywood. No, that's what really happened. That was how he felt and that was how he was. Um, those two guys had a bond. I'm not sure we could understand, but you know, I think they were the first uh, teammates, to, black and white teammates to room together. It wasn't a big deal for them. And boy, could we use that kind of grace and and character now and I always I love the, the the Hollywood or the theatric uh, bromide action as character in, in theater and, and movies and so forth well that that was Gail Harris and, and Brian with him um, yeah, so something a lot of the anecdotes in the movie were they were obviously were real because they came right from people's book um, so yeah that, that relationship I think it was it was healing. You don't kind of wish there were two guys like that together right now. I, I do. Yeah, I, I I agree. In today's today's climate, it's it's really something something I think we could all use. But um, uh, really really great stuff there on Gail, John. Thanks thanks so much for your your thoughts and your memories on him. But um, before I let you go, uh, I do want to get your thought on the current team here, the twenty twenty Bears. Who you know you got to beat who's in front of you. So you know you can't say it was just the Lions and just the Giants. But at two and zero, in the way they've looked at times, you do want to kind of say, well, it's just the Lions and it's just the Giants. So what? Uh, what do you think of the first two games of the season here? What have you that you've seen? You know, I, Oscar, I don't, I don't know what to make of this team yet. I haven't seen you know, decades of them. Um, I, I go to one thing that I, I don't put great stock, nor do I dismiss the fact that they're two and zero. Because one of the great things in sport to me is you have to win when you're not on your game, when you're when you're doing well. Now, obviously the Lions handed them the game or, or dropped the game out of their hands uh, with the pass, and you know, the Bears may have gotten lucky that Saquon Barkley wasn't around for the whole game, whatever. Um, but the Bears, they won without playing well, and, and that's that's a huge positive. In other sports, that that's happening. I think Jimmy Connors was once asked how he could win. How do you win Wimbledon or U.S. Open, how do you stay hot for two weeks? 
And Connor said, that's not it. He said, the secret is winning on the two days you're not. So the Bears, okay, let's say it's funny you would use two. The Bears are one on those two days they're not hot. I don't know if they're good enough to win against a good team. Um, and I, uh, I'm a suspect of it because I do think Mitch Trubisky is kind of beyond uh, the, the P word potential, much the way Jay Cutler was. Everybody was six, seven years into Cutler's career, and they were talking about oh, his great potential. Well, Mitch can't talk that way anymore. So I'm afraid he may be he may be hitting or approaching his ceiling, and he's not going to be the guy who can really be, you win because of. I mean, we know the Anthony Miller touchdown in the first week and, and this throw or that throw, but I'm not sure he can can carry a team and a, and a championship NFL quarterback usually 99% of the time has to have that. I mean, you get the Trent Dilfers and, uh, I don't know, Jay Schroeders or whomever player you can name that weren't great, but their teams were. I'm not sure the Bears are that good. I'm, I do worry more about where's the defense? Where's Khalil Mack and... Hakeem Hicks, I don't know that there may have minor injuries, but I don't know if the, the rest of the team is good enough to pick him up. That's why I'm really unsure if you feel good about the two you got. I don't know what the, what how much significance. It's almost like a preseason. I don't know if you, you think, Bill, I did. Uh, listeners may think it's preseason. <laughs> it did feel like two preseason games. Well, now they're in Atlanta, which you could argue is almost another preseason game. But the thing I look forward to, I want to see if this offense can score, really score against the suspect defense. Because at some point that's going to have to happen. They have to be able to win a shootout, and I don't know that they can do that. Therefore, I wonder if they can ultimately stay among the elite because they're still in the, Aaron Rodgers still up in the, in Green Bay, and, and uh, there's enough talent around. They're going to have to get past Drew Brees. Obviously, the Raiders did. But I don't know what they've got. But they did win when they didn't play well. So if they can keep getting a little better here and there, that's going to that's going to improve. I just don't know how much upside, in particular, the quarterback has. And and I, I think that's the question that that we all need answered because you know in in the eight quarters here they had a three quarter stretch when you look at the fourth quarter against Detroit and the first half against the Giants where they outscored their opponent thirty eight to nothing, but the other five quarters have been you know below average to be you know the 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 most complimentary way you can put it what what do you think the reason is for for the inconsistency do you think it's a lack of preseason do you think it's the quarterback play what why has this team been so inconsistent i I do think some of it is the preseason i even thought last season um maggie not playing to risky and and any of the starters in the preseason was a mistake Again, it doesn't, you know, 40 snaps in preseason isn't the difference between, you know, 12 and 4 and 8 and 8. But they played like a team that was not, it was rusty or it didn't have the burrs knocked off. Um, And I just don't know if the talent level is that high. You know, certain, we saw Mitch, um, his rookie year, but it was like one point in one game, 10 for 10. And he was, I thought he was a better quarterback sometimes in his rookie year than he is now. But uh, yeah, I'm not sure what the reason is, and it's they may benefit from defenses not having as much uh, warm-up time for a season or lead-up time for the season. Um, you know, maybe they'll benefit from poor tackling, which certainly Atlanta can, can have you. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure we'll ever have a clean answer to what is the reason for this kind of ragged beginning. I mean, although I don't, whether it Bears or what, 11 teams, that's a third of the league is 2-0. So, <laughs> something. 
something's weird going on here. Yeah, very much. And uh, last one on on this Bears team, because you brought up the defense. And and I think the defense is an interesting case because, you know, we all love that 2018 defense now. It's right up there with a peak Lovey D and the 80s D. I mean, that that, that defense is is beloved. And it's beloved because it it just it had that swagger and it created turnovers and defensive touchdowns. It was flashy. And and the, you know, the, the Chuck Pagano 2019 defense was very good. You know, they didn't allow a lot of points. You know, statistically, they were right there in a lot of categories, but they didn't have those those big plays and the the 2020 version you know i know it's just two games but it, they, they seem to be leaning a lot more 2019 version than 2018 version what what can this defense do to try and get back to that 2018 version what's 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 missing what's the difference you know it, it's it's hard to quantify because we're not in, in certainly not in the locker room at all this year um but you you, you nailed it bill there was a swagger uh, that went into the 18 team with all the scores about what they're 42, 48 points. I don't know how many scored, but it was in the 40s. And as you reflect, you mentioned, for example, the 85 team. Well, that had the swagger. They always, I know Otis and, and Hampton, people like that, would talk about. We would have this feeling, this kind of bloodlust in the huddle. Okay, I got to get mine. And, you know, they would play within the scheme, and they were good enough. The talent was good enough that uh, they wouldn't be reckless. But there was a hunger. You know, I'm going to get mine now. It's my turn to make a great play. And there was a, there was a unification. Everybody, all the ropes pulling really hard in the same direction. I, I don't know that, you know, the, the takeaways certainly fuel that. But sometimes the takeaways are a result of some inner chemistry that's happening. Yeah, just watching it, just don't see that. Um, I'm not sure where you get it. It's, it's got to be more than just one pick six. Uh, you know, by whomever Eddie Jackson getting his call back by the, that might have turned things a little bit but yeah, I'm not sure where that comes from or what play what the ignition switch for that is but I agree I don't it's not there like it was in 2018 I don't think it's a, the change in coordinators Pagano um, certainly has, has the has the resume Vic was beloved by his players probably for his personality as well, in addition to his, his scheming and so forth but yeah, it ultimately goes back to the players, and somebody has got to grab this and say, grab the flag and say, follow me. I don't know who that is this year. But Danny Trebathan, one of my very interesting player to watch, he's fallen off this year. He's not going to be that guy. And you almost can't be that guy unless you're among, if not the best player, like Brian Urlacher was. Like, um, there's so many of them in the 85 team, but Singletary, Wilson, there were so many uh, best. Nobody's really grabbed the flag with that feeling of follow me the way and you mentioned 18, the way Khalil Mack did, how that energized the entire defense. So, you know, I kept thinking that last week when Robert Quinn had the strip sack on his first snap, was like, well, this could really get things going. And it really did. I mean, they were, they won and they held an opponent, uh, you know, under 17 points, whatever. But I'm not sure that it's there yet this year or if it can be. Yeah, it's going to be uh, def- definitely things to watch is, is you know, this team's built around, you know, defensive success. So they, they really need that defense to find a gear and they need, you know, consistency on the offense. So, you know, so far, so good in terms of record. You know, can they iron things out, you know, potentially? But, you know, if, if they want to go from a borderline seven seed, you know, kind of sneak, sneak into the playoffs nine and seven with inconsistent play or you know, really step forward and, and become a team that can actually contend, they're going to have to solve those two issues. Yeah, they do. They, they have to be that team, as, as Anthony would describe it. You know, you, you, don't, you don't sneak into the playoffs. You, you kick 
and beer for my horses, you know, that, and here I am. You know, they don't have that yet, and I, I'm not sure where that's going to come from, but uh, it certainly gets more more energizing in the city of Chicago when that, when that happens. So, so it's always a Bears town. It was a Michael Jordan town for six years, and, and but it's always a Bears town. Uh, absolutely. That's a, that's a good point to end on. There he is, John Moon Mullen. John, thanks so much for jumping on here. Thanks for so much time. Great, great memories, great reflection on Gail Sayers and, and, and the current team. Really appreciate it. All right, there he is, John Moon Mullen. I, I love love listening to Moon talk. He's, you know, he's he's been around the team for so long. He just he gives you great perspective because he's seen the great teams and he's seen the bad teams. So he just he he has that sense of where this team is headed. And two and zero, it's it's tough to tell. He's got a lot of concerns, and I think a lot of analysts around the league right now see the Bears as a paper tiger. Now they did two years ago too. No one trusted that 2018 team, and, and next thing you know, they went 12 and four and won the division. So it's not to say the Bears can't win here, but uh, the Bears definitely have some things they need to figure out. They need to get more playmaking on defense, and they need to get more consistency on offense. They put those two things together, then absolutely, this this team is a contender. And and, and Mullen, just some great thoughts there on Gale Sears, really put him, his career in perspective, but really put Gale Sears the person in perspective. And I think, you know, for a lot of Bears fans, I mean, look, like I said, Bears fans 50 and under. I mean, you're born in 1970. Gale Sears is, is just, you know, he's just that guy who used to play for the Bears, you know, sure, a Hall of Famer and all, but you don't know him. He was six, you know, you're, you're 50 years old. You know, he's retired. You're 60 years old. Gail Sears retired when you were 11. So, I mean, it's it's that long ago that Gail Sears had that presence in Chicago. So I just think a lot of fans don't really know a lot about him. That's why I wanted to get Moon on and really, really kind of reflect on his career for a little bit. So that's going to do it for Bears Banter. Hopefully we'll be talking about a 3-0 team next week. We'll talk to you soon, everybody. Bear down. Adios.